Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead, Dead Drunk. drunk. <laughs> so I wrote out a big long intro for this case and then I tossed it out because if I'm being honest, it wasn't my best work, drunkies. But we still have a pretty interesting case for you today. I dove into Patty Hearst thinking, all right, pretty cut and dry, right? She gets kidnapped, brainwashed, end of story. No, it's basically like the 70s as a decade threw up on this case. And it's all included in our episode today on Patty Hearst. Snaps for improvisation. That's the best (laughs) intro I've ever heard, actually. Crime junkie who? Ashley Flowers who? (laughs) After October, I'm just like, let's find some really weird stuff that we can laugh about instead of like, I don't know. That's probably not going to be the whole month, but we'll, whatever. We'll see what happens. I love it. So how are you? How are our drunkies? I'm pretty good. I am exhausted for some reason. Like nothing has really changed. It's probably like just all the election stuff and I'm just like emotionally mm-hmm. exhausted with the world. But, you know, um, big win for, for Joey B. Yeah. I've it's never called him that before. I don't know why I just <laughs> called him that. Yeah, it's, it's the same for me. And I haven't had any, I mean... The election was technically called, but there there will be recounts and like all these other oh, yeah. stuff still coming. So the stress level hasn't really gone down. Yeah, optimistic, <laughs> but still like Trump's not just gonna like roll over and admit defeat. So I feel like we're we're in for a, a long election season. <laughs> oh, I just wanted it over. I just wanted I it over. I know. Uh, I'm so tired of the politics. So let's get drunk. Yes. (laughs) Our drink this week comes from David Wandrich at Esquire. Not really, but he wrote on it. So I'm, I got it from him and it's actually called the Hearst. Oh my God. Perfect. (laughs) I thought so too. Apparently the recipe itself comes from the old Waldorf Astoria bar book, which credited this cocktail to a couple of Hearst reporters who would enjoy a few drinks or maybe only three or so. I don't know. Before going out for a story in the local area. Uh, I hope it wasn't more than three, but maybe these were just a bunch of drunk reporters just writing whatever they wanted. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of that. (laughs) Anyway, what you're going to do is stir together two ounces of dry gin, any dry gin. It called for London dry gin, but it doesn't matter to me. A half ounce of sweet vermouth, a dash of orange bitters, and a dash of Angus, that one, the other bitters. (laughs) I cannot say (laughs) that word. I never know how to say that either. It's like Angostura or something like that. Uh, Yeah, but you guys know what we're talking about. Then dash some other bitters on there over some cracked ice and stir it all together. And strain it into a chilled cocktail glass. And that's the Hearst. I love it. Cool. Now that you've got your Hearst in hand and you're ready to go drunk reporting, are you ready for the case? Drink up, dead drunkies. 
I usually fuck that one up, so pretty doing pretty good today. <laughs> Patricia Hurst. I read on one of the articles that she prefers Patricia, but that's that's a mouthful, girl. So I'm gonna be calling her Patty from here on out. I think that's basically. Fair. I swap between Patty and Hurst though, because and I you when we get past her father, because I don't. I mean, her father's not William Randolph Hurst. He's just Randolph Hurst. Oh, so I can't sing Newsies, is what you're telling me. (laughs) Oh, you can sing whatever you want. (laughs) You can sing absolutely whatever you want. (laughs) Patricia was born on February 20th, 1954, in San Francisco, California. She was the third of five daughters born to Randolph Aperson Hurst. Everybody's got such fancy names. Long, drawn-out names. And Catherine... Catherine Wood Campbell. <laughs> She's rich. <laughs> oh, I mean, they're all rich. Yeah, for oh. sure. Most of her childhood was spent in Hillsboro, where she attended Crystal Springs School for Girls, which every time I hear it, I think it's rich people. And then the Santa Catalina School in Monterey, which... Oh, Monterey. Mm. So... After graduating from high school, Patty attended Menlo College in Atherton, California. I don't know where either of those things are. Never heard those names before. That's good. That's fine. But she was only there for a bit before she transferred to the University of California, Berkeley. Oh, I have heard of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Bet. Since Patty's father was one of many heirs and did not actually have control of Hearst's interests of the, the Hearst Corporation... He didn't think it was necessary to provide his children with their own personal security. So in 1974, 19-year-old Patty was a sophomore studying art history, which is like, I mean, good thing you're rich, but. And <laughs> <laughs> that only rich people study art history. I, I was going to say that, but that's not true because I knew a couple people that were studying art history at New Paltz. And they will be poor forever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I just don't know what you do with that other than become a docent in a museum. Work at a museum. Yeah. Which just sounds like such a snooze fest. Oh, my God. I took one class in art history and um, it was really boring. And my final project, I had to do a presentation on um, Picasso and I think that it was just like a slideshow of a bunch of shirtless pictures of him. Because <laughs> there's like a lot of shirtless pictures of Picasso out there. Just Do so you know, know what's strange? Picasso was alive during the 70s. So it's he's it, it ties in with the case. Oh, my God. Perfect. <laughs> he's so not involved Google at all. Picasso <laughs> and look at the shir- shirtless picture of Picasso while you listen to the rest of the story. So. She's an art history major. Well, she's a sophomore, so she could have changed her mind, but we'll get there. We know what happens. She doesn't finish. And she's living with her... (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) And she's living with her fiancé, Stephen Weed. (laughs) What a name. I know I paused there, so just to figure (laughs) about. Anyway, she's living with Stephen Weed in a Berkeley apartment that should have been safe. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) At around 9 o'clock at night on February 4th, 1974, there was a knock on the door of apartment number 4 at 2603 Benvenue Street. The group of Welcome armed... Welcome in Benvenue. Welcome. Sorry. 
I'm pretty sure I pulled that directly from the FBI website. And I'll talk about the article on the FBI website when we get like further into the case. Because that was just like, they are a trip, guys. So, <laughs> the group of armed men and women forced their way into the apartment. Stephen Weed was beaten up and tied up along with a neighbor who had heard the commotion and come to try and help. Just like a good Samaritan that got in the way. But he was just tied up. Uh, witnesses from around the apartment complex reported seeing a struggling and blindfolded Patty Hearst being carried out of her apartment and put into the trunk of the abductor's car. The kidnappers then fired their guns, just randomly, it sounds like, forcing any neighbors that had come out onto the street to take cover as they made their escape. Oh, my God. These were assault weapons, by the way. They always have, like, assault rifles. That's insane. So like, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't even know what I would do if I saw that. I, I know for sure what I would do. I would go back into my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Three days later, a letter to a Berkeley radio station announced that the Symbionese Liberation Army, or SLA for short, and what I will be calling them from now on. Good. Who were led by... <laughs> so yeah, easier. that is... <laughs> that's just some name. They were led by a hardened criminal um, named Donald DeFreeze. Which just kind of sounds like a super villain to I, me. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's almost like Frozone. But like. <laughs> <laughs> right? All of them also had like other names in the in the army. Like his was Sink Matum or like Field Leader Sink or Sinke or so. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's it just all of them have different SLA names. Wow. That I'm not going to be calling them. <laughs> And their letter announced that they were holding Hearst as a quote-unquote prisoner of war. Okay. Yeah. The SLA wanted only to incite a guerrilla war against the U.S. government and destroy what they were calling the capitalist state. Again, in quotes from the letter. According to the FBI. That's what the FBI classifies them as. (laughs) Huh. So basically, they're a domestic terrorist organization. Okay. But why would they kidnap Patty Hearst? That's an incredible question, and I can't wait to hear the answer after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by The Drifting Souls. The Drifting Souls is a boutique that we love, and we think you guys will love them too. They sell drinkware, t-shirts, sweatshirts, and other cool things that make the perfect gift for your friends, family, or honestly for yourself. You do you. I was browsing this morning, and I had to seriously refrain from ordering everything on this site. And the next thing that I think I'm going to put in my cart is the wine tumbler that says Republican Party, Democratic Party, and then the one that's checked off is Cocktail Party, because I'm so tired of the election stress, you guys. We love that the Drifting Souls is a women-run business, because to quote True Crime Obsessed, say it with me, let the women do the work! Every order is also custom printed just for you, so you know you're getting the highest quality product every single time. If you order by December 6th, your order is guaranteed to arrive by Christmas, but why wait? Head over to the Drifting Souls to shop now, and make sure to use our code DEADDRUNK for 20% off at checkout. That's thedriftingsouls.com, and use code D-E-A-D-D-R-U-N-K at checkout for 20% off. All right, back to the episode. All right, so some sources believe that the kidnapping was mostly opportunistic because her Berkeley apartment was in close proximity to the SLA hideout. But according to the FBI, the SLA kidnapped Hearst primarily to get the country's attention, and it worked. The abduction of the young heiress stunned the country so much that it made front page news across the nation. 
Still, neither of those reasons were the only motive for the kidnapping. (laughs) According to testimony from the trial, the SLA's main goal was to leverage the Hearst family's political influence to free two SLA members who had been arrested for killing Marcus Foster. I didn't know who that was, so I looked it up. And Marcus Foster gained national recognition for his work in education and then made history by becoming Oakland's first African-American superintendent. Oh, my God. Isn't that cool? I love that journey for him. Well, here's where the journey gets a little bit rough. Oh. On November 6, 1973, the SLA shot Foster eight times with hollow point bullets that had been filled with cyanide. His deputy was also shot but survived. Do you want to know why? Yeah. They claimed that they killed Marcus Foster because of his supposed plan to create a student ID system in Oakland that would essentially keep non-student drug dealers off the campus. Sweet. Student IDs. Student IDs. So they murdered him. Yeah. Isn't that the most insane thing why, you've ever heard? Why do they care about that? Why do they care about that? I'm assuming... Because they were the drug dealers that would have been kept off the campus? That's that's my assumption. But okay. they pro- would probably say because it's a form of tracking or like some form of government watching you or whatever. Because they're one of those like anarchist revolutionary groups that you probably right. would have seen a lot of in the 70s because it sounds like it was just an insane time. <laughs> yeah. So, like, well, part of me kind of wishes I could go back to the 60s and be a flower child. I would skip the 70s, I think. I would just play, just skip it. Yeah. Move right into 90s. Let's just skip right to the 90s. I don't even. <laughs> I don't want to do anything with 80s fashion either. <laughs> Joe Ramiro and Russ Little were caught and sentenced to life in prison for their part in the assassination. So, those are the two that they wanted to get out of prison by leveraging the return of Patty Hearst. I, I guess. But it's also speculated that Donald DeFries was the other person involved who shot Foster's deputy superintendent. I don't like that guy. Yeah, Donald's me neither. just don't do it for me anymore. <laughs> I got it. But I started thinking of like, Donald Duck and like (laughs) (laughs) my cousin Don. (laughs) So as you can imagine, their kidnapping plan didn't really give them the political power they were hoping for. So they didn't manage to get their members released from prison in 1974. Later, Little appealed and was apparently released after serving only five years. But Ramiro remains remains incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison. I didn't check to see if he's still alive, but if he is alive, he's still at San Quentin. So So after that failure, the SLA demanded that the Hearst family give millions of dollars worth of food donations to all of the needy people from Santa Rosa to Los Angeles in exchange for pet... I almost just said (laughs) Patty. In exchange for Patty's safe return. So Patty's father took out a loan and immediately arranged for the donation of $2 million worth of food to be distributed to the poor in the Bay Area. The SLA called this amount of money and food inadequate and then demanded that he give $6 million more. And the Hearst Corporation responded by saying that they would donate the additional sum of money and food if Patty was released to them unharmed. At the same time that all of these negotiations were taking place, 
The SLA were apparently torturing and brainwashing their captive in an effort to turn her into a member of their army. The idea was to transform this young heiress from high society into the poster child for the anti-capitalist revolution that they were hoping to start. I probably would have sent a really meaningful message, but mm, didn't get that. According to Hearst's testimony, she was held in a closet for a week with a blindfold on and her hands were tied. During that time, the SL leader, DeFries, who we hate, repeatedly threatened her with death. Hearst claimed that she was let out for meals and despite still being blindfolded, this is when she would join them in political conversations. What? Yeah, so I guess that she was brought out for meals, but she was just having meals with them. So... She would just talk to them. Interesting. Okay. So I don't know. That part, like, that part sat does Sat in the corner weird. of the room, <laughs> blindfolded, eating, and talking about politics. Yeah, I guess. I. Yeah, it does sound really weird. I don't know why they would, why she would participate in the conversation. You do you, girl. Maybe she just <laughs> felt compelled. After... Talking with her during those discussions, I guess they must have seen some real potential in her. So they gave her a flashlight and some SLA political tracks to memorize while she was confined in her closet. At least they took her blindfold off. <laughs> For the reading, yeah. But I, um, it's a part of the brainwashing, I guess. But if she was already participating, I'm guessing that wasn't the goal the whole time. Like to brainwash her. I'm, I'm betting... If, and we'll get into this, if she was really kidnapped and abducted, I'm betting that if she participated in the political conversations, they saw a chance at something. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I mean, this, I know that they're pretty organized with their weapons and stuff, but they don't seem organized otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) after a few weeks in the closet, Hearst claimed, quote, DeFries told me that the war council had decided or was thinking about killing me or me staying with them and that I better start thinking about that as a possibility. I accommodated my thoughts to coincide with theirs. So I they essentially said, you join us or we're going to kill you. So, so she joined them. <laughs> right. Because yeah. what do you do in that kind yeah. of situation other than, okay, I guess I'm a member then. Yeah. In another account of events, Hearst said that she was given the choice of freedom or joining the SLA. Hmm. Hearst decided that she wanted to stay and fight with them. I mean, either way you look at it, she decided to stay and fight, whether it was survival or something else. Yeah. Which, again, uh, this doesn't make sense. There are, I mean, what we're getting at and what I was going to leave to the end, but I can't, is that a lot of people don't think that she was abducted. They think that it was staged and she just really, she was just some rich kid that wanted to let loose and have fun. I don't consider waving assault rifles, assault rifles around and like threatening domestic terrorism fun, but that's just me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess if you're like mm, fucked up enough in the head, (laughs) I think it's I just, I don't. I just don't see any benefit to her faking it. Yeah. So, I don't know. But there are varying accounts. 
Either they gave her a choice between freedom and the SLA or death and the SLA. Doesn't matter. She picked the SLA. Gotcha. Then her blindfold was removed and she could finally see her captors for the first time. She was then given daily lessons on her duties and numerous weapon skills every day. Weapons, drills. Sorry. She was given like drilled on all the weapons. I'm assuming that means taking them apart, cleaning them, learning how to fire them. Just like. Okay. Insane. At one point, Angela Atwood, one of the founding members of the SLA, told Hearst that the others thought she should know what sexual freedom was like in the unit. According to Hearst's lawyer, this led to Hearst being raped by William Willie Wolf and then later by DeFreeze. Ew. Yeah, we get into this more when we talk about the trial because other SLA members claim that it was consensual and they had some kind of romantic thing. Not DeFreeze, but Wolf. Okay. I I don't know. Um, I don't know how rape would be sexual freedom, but... Again, again, be- it's kind of like the opposite of sexual freedom, I feel like. Right. But that's the other thing, too, is like the SLA members could be lying. Hearst could be lying. There's just a lot of varying accounts and we just don't know. I'm inclined to believe Hearst. Um, but I, you know, again, I wasn't there. So on April 3rd, 1974, two months after being abducted, Hearst announced on an audio tape that she had joined the SLA's fight to free the oppressed and adopted the name Tanya, which was inspired by the alias of Haiti Tamara Bunk Bider, one of Che Guevara's comrades. Which I didn't know, but Tanya. Interesting. Okay. Then on April 15th, Hearst was seen on surveillance video wielding an assault weapon while robbing the Sunset District branch of the Hibernia Bank in San Francisco. That's my birthday. Yeah, it is. She decided she picked it for that reason, Tyr. She knew. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) She knew that I would be born on that day. Wait, why am I? (laughs) So she said, you know what? Why am I saying it like she had the choice of bank? Like it's. The SLA knew... No, they they didn't. (laughs) Anyway, she can be seen in the security footage barking orders at bank customers and responding to her new identity of Tanya. During the robbery, two men entered the bank and were immediately shot and wounded. I couldn't find if she fired these shots. I don't think so, though. A witness later claimed in her testimony that Hearst had been several steps behind the other robbers when running to the getaway car. That could have been in a testimony to say, like, oh, maybe she wasn't really into it. That comes up later. Yeah. Yeah. On May 16th, Hearst was waiting across the street in a van while fellow SLA members William Harris and his wife Emily went into Mel's Sporting Goods in Inglewood, California. The manager caught him trying to steal an ammunition belt, and with the help of an employee, they followed Harris out of the store and confronted him. A fight ensued in which a pistol fell out of Harris's waistband. The manager got a hold of the weapon, but Hearst was already shooting. She discharged the entire magazine of her automatic weapon into the storefront from across the street, which forced the manager to dive for cover behind a light post. He apparently attempted to return fire. Oh, my fire. God. Yeah. <laughs> but he, the manager attempted to return fire with Harris's weapon, but this only made Hearst shoot closer to him. Oh. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's pretty crazy. Mm. It's pretty crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> and my life <laughs> is pretty, pretty crazy. crazy. <laughs> That's all I could think of right now. Like, it all started when my mom met my dad. And they had me. Hi, my name's Tanya. And my life is pretty crazy. <laughs> it all started <laughs> when I got kidnapped by the SLA. Hi, my name's Tanya. And my life is kind of crazy. kind of crazy. <laughs> Hearst and the Harris couple later abandoned the getaway van and instead they decided to hijack two cars and abduct the owners because oh, good. my life is pretty crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> And also there was no Uber. So you just kind of had to hijack a car if you wanted a car. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that was the only other option. <laughs> As you could tell, we're having a lot of fun with this. <laughs> One... <laughs> One of the captives was a young man who reportedly found her so personable that he was reluctant to even report the incident. He testified at trial that while he was in the car with her, she discussed the effectiveness of cyanide-tipped bullets with him, which is basically all the SLA used. They all kind of used hollow bullets with cyanide in it and repeatedly asked him if he was okay. Just kind of... it's. You know what? Now that we've just talked to, talked about Uber, it kind of sounds like Hearst was kind of just like that uncomfortable Uber driver you have talking uh-huh. about cyanide tipped bullets with you. And then yeah, like, and you're just like, you need, uh-huh. Do you need uh-huh. some more gum? Is the air good back there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're in the back like, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like just slowly putting your headphones in. <laughs> Putting your headphones in, I would roll out of the car, tuck and roll. <laughs> Just pretending to like, you your know, Uber driver. Oh, pretending to like, he, oh, humoring them, like, oh yeah, cyanide tip bullets. I don't know that they're <laughs> any better than regular bullets. And then you like look out the window, like, help! I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're dialing nine one one. Meanwhile, authorities discovered the getaway van which led them to an SLA safe house. On May 17th, the LAPD surrounded the house and a massive shootout ensued. The building ended up going up in flames, killing all six members of the SLA that were inside, including Angela Atwood and DeFreeze. Authorities were then left wondering where was Patty Hearst? They initially thought that she too had died in the fire, but that was quickly ruled out. Law enforcement then issued a warrant for her arrest for several felonies, including two counts of kidnapping. Meanwhile, the three fugitives managed to evade police for a little while with the help of some of their fallen comrades, acquaintances, and some other radicals. During her time as a fugitive, Hearst helped craft improvised explosive devices that were then used in two failed attempts to kill police officers in August 1975. Ugh. But eventually... Law enforcement managed to track her down to a San Francisco apartment where she was hiding out with fellow SLA member Wendy Yoshimura. On September 18th, 1975, Patricia Hearst was arrested by local police inspectors who there were a lot of police inspectors from the LAPD and FBI special agents involved. I didn't name them all because that's tedious and you guys don't really care, right? So... (laughs) Anyway, authorities discovered marked money in that apartment with Hearst that linked her to the SLA robbery of Crocker National Bank in Carmichael, California. Crocker National Bank? Hearst had acted... Is it covered in butter? (laughs) Does it have somebody who works there that goes, Fairy Godparents! (laughs) That that 
was the first place mine went to. I was thinking like country crock, like the butter. I guess it's margarine technically. I didn't think the butter, but. You got to step up your butter game. Butter is my one true love. (laughs) Hearst had acted as the getaway driver for the robbery of Crocker's Crocker's Bank. Country Crock Bank. Country Crock Bank. While she was being booked into jail, Hearst listed Urban Gorilla under occupation. <laughs> Urban Gorilla. Like King I'm sorry, Kong? I'm laughing. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like, not like G-O-R-I-L-L-A. G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. Like yeah, a, like a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Urban Gorilla. <laughs> See how Empire State just Building? A, <laughs> just one little gorilla in the big city. I'm an Irving Gorilla. This summer, <laughs> a young gorilla takes on the Big Apple. Starring Tanya. <laughs> In her big movie debut. Her life is pretty crazy. (laughs) Now streaming on Amazon Prime. So in addition to listing Urban Gorilla as her occupation, she also asked her attorney to relay this message. Quote, Tell everybody that I'm smiling, that I feel free and strong, and I send my greetings and love to all the sisters and brothers out there. That's like her statement she wants released upon being arrested. At the time of her arrest, Hearst was in a pretty bad state, both physically and mentally. Her weight had dropped to 87 pounds, and Dr. Margaret Singer described her as, quote, a low IQ, low effect zombie. A little later, doctors began seeing signs of trauma in Hearst, like her IQ, which had dropped from 130 to 120. Sorry, not even 20. 112. It dropped down from 130 to 112. Yikes. She was also smoking heavily and experiencing nightmares and most troubling, having trouble remembering things from her life before becoming Tanya. Ugh. That's like some sci-fi shit. Right. It sounds terrifying and definitely like brainwashing, but this is where I learned something pretty interesting. Without a mental illness or defect, a person is considered to be completely responsible for any criminal act not done under duress, which is defined as a clear and present threat of death or serious injury. So arguing for her acquittal on the grounds that Hearst was brainwashed was completely unprecedented. It was a totally new idea. Okay. But I would say, just judging from what the doctors saw, yeah, Yeah. she was brainwashed. 100%. She lost IQ. She lost knowledge. Yeah. Oh, God. This is why, like, doctors, I don't know what to say. Like, diagnosis or findings when seeing a patient, to me, are just, like, are why I can't believe that this was fake. Uh, yeah. Because they would have been able to see through. Right. There are, the weird thing is, and we're about to get into it, there are, again, differing viewpoints based on which doctors you talk to. The doctors arguing for the prosecution obviously don't believe that she's brainwashed. Right. But there are other doctors that do. Uh, one of them was psychiatrist Louis Jolion West. I think I did pretty good with that name, actually. A professor at the University of California, Los Angeles, or UCLA. 
He was appointed by the court in his capacity as a brainwashing expert, and he worked without a fee, probably because he was fascinated. West must have thought that Hearst was brainwashed because after the trial, he wrote a newspaper article asking President Jimmy Carter to release Hearst from prison. So he examined her, and I couldn't find any of his findings from examining her, but he felt so compelled by his findings that he wrote to President Jimmy Carter saying that she was wrongfully imprisoned. Hearst was examined by another psychiatrist from Yale University, which she discussed in her... yeah. which she discussed in her memoir, Every Secret Thing. Hearst wrote, quote, I spent 15 hours going over my SLA experiences with Robert J. Lifton of Yale University. Lifton, author of several books on coercive persuasion and thought reform, pronounced me a classic case which met all of the psychological criteria of a coerced prisoner of war. If I had reacted differently, that would have been suspect, he said. So this psychiatrist thinks that she's exhibiting all of the signs of a prisoner of war, meaning she was tortured into believing things. She's brainwashed. She, you know, she was brain. I don't know. I just think that there's so much behind her to say that she was brainwashed. But yeah, after a few weeks in jail, Hearst renounced her allegiance to the SLA and began preparing for trial. Hearst's first lawyer advised her to not talk to anyone, including psychiatrists, and he advocated for the defense of involuntary intoxication. This would allege that the SLA had given her drugs, which affected her judgment and recollection. And his idea was that that would be easier to prove than the other possibility. She must have not liked it as she let that lawyer go and she got a second lawyer who decided to go with a defense of coercion or duress affecting intent at the time of the offense instead. This was similar to a brainwashing defense, which her first attorney had warned was not a valid defense in law. Because, again, it's unprecedented. Right. On January 15th, 1976, Hearst alone was arraigned for the Hibernia bank robbery. This is probably because most of the other SLA members were dead. Um, but but they did catch the other couple. And they just weren't arraigned for this bank robbery with her. Judge Oliver Jesse Carter, which we hate, and I'll tell you why. He just so happened to be a professional acquaintance of a junior member of the prosecution team. So that's pretty sketch. And he ruled that Hearst taped and written statements after the bank robbery during her time as a fugitive with the SLA, were voluntary. Essentially, Judge Carter had already made up his mind before the trial even started. He refused to hear expert testimony that indicated that the Tanya statements and writing were not completely written by Hearst. I'm assuming that the experts were handwriting experts or um, right, those right, guys. Right. Yeah, those guys that analyze voice or something like that. Saying that, like, it's not really her that's speaking. Somebody's forcing her to do this. He did, however, allow the prosecution to introduce statements that she made long after the robbery to indicate her state of mind at the time of the robbery. Which just it makes no sense. Right, because it's two different mindsets. Exactly. It's a completely different time. Judge Carter also allowed a recording of Hearst discussing her radical feminist beliefs with a friend into evidence. This discussion happened while she was in jail. 
but he refused to allow tapes of her interviews with psychiatrists. Why? J- uh, because he's an asshole. <laughs> he was even described as resting his eyes during defense testimony. Like was asleep? <laughs> yeah. Like what the fuck? <laughs> this is why we hate this guy. According to Hearst's testimony, her captors demanded that she appear enthusiastic throughout the robbery and that she would pay with her life for any mistake. Her lawyer even provided the court with photographs from the bank robbery that showed SLA members pointing their guns at Hearst and not at bank employees. In response to questions about the shooting at Mel's sporting goods store and her choice to stay and shoot, Hearst claimed that during her captivity, she had been trained for emergency situations just like this. Hearst told the court that, quote, when it happened, I didn't even think I just did it. And if I had not done it and if they had been able to get away, they would have killed me. Despite this compelling evidence, Hearst made a terrible impression in the courtroom. She appeared lethargic, apparently because of some drugs that she was given during her time in jail. So she probably didn't come off as sympathetic either if these drugs are downers. Her attorney, F. Lee Bailey, was strongly criticized for putting her on the stand. But according to Alan Dershowitz, Bailey was kind of, he's used wrong-footed into this. So kind of like tricked into this by Judge Carter, who had told him that she would have Fifth Amendment privilege while on the stand. That means that the jury would not be present for some of her testimony or would be instructed not to draw inferences on anything from after the Hibernia bank robbery for okay. which she was being tried. Then at the last moment, Judge Carter changed his mind. Fuck you, Judge Carter. Exactly. We hate him. Prosecutor <laughs> James L. Browning Jr. We hate him, too. He's <laughs> called two psychiatrists to testify to Hearst's mental state during the robbery. The first one, Dr. Harry Kozal, said that Hearst had been, quote, a rebel in search of a cause, and her participation in the robbery was, quote, an act of free will. So this is the idea that she's just like a rich brat that wanted to have some fun by waving assault rifles around and, like, abducting people. Which, like, I I can see where they're coming from because of people like Leopold and Loeb, who were, like, rich brats that decided to kill somebody for fun. I guess, but none of this sounds fun or... Yeah, like the whole being kidnapped thing, you would think that if she just wanted to have some fun, she just would have, like, gotten a gun and shot people. Or that... I mean, that's not fun, but, like, (laughs) you know what I mean. Like, if that was her... If you had organized your own kidnapping, would you have them put you in a trunk of a car? Or just, like, sit in the back... Right. Just, like, sit in the back seat with, like, your abductors. You're not going to run away. Right. So, I... And, like, if it was... If she had organized it herself also, she probably wouldn't be as brainwashed. Right. And, like, wouldn't have lost all that weight and IQ if it was, like, all her idea. Right. There's... That, to me, is some substantial evidence that this was real. Yeah. That's just me, though. You know, maybe yeah. she has fun losing brain cells or something. I don't... It doesn't sound fun, though. Browning Jr. then asked the other psychiatrist, Dr. Joel Fort, if Hearst was in fear of death or great bodily harm during the robbery, to which he answered, no. I would argue 
mm, that she was because there were assault weapons pointed at her. Fort's assessment of Hearst labeled her as amoral and asserted that she had voluntary sex with Wolf and DeFreeze, which she denies. Now, this is where we're getting into that. The prosecutor also used testimony from Emily Harris, who was a part of the couple from Mel's Sporting Goods. He used her testimony to allegedly prove that the sex was consensual. Harris gave a magazine interview from her jail cell after hearing that Hearst was claiming Wolf raped her. Harris alleged in her interview that Hearst was keeping a trinket that Wolf gave her, which was an indication that they had a romantic relationship and the sex was voluntary. Hearst claims that she kept the stone carving because she thought it might be a pre-Columbian artifact of archaeological significance. She might know this. She's a sophomore in art history. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Still, the jury regarded this piece of information as powerful evidence that Hearst was lying. In addition to these testimonies, Judge Carter also permitted testimony from the prosecution on Hearst's earlier sexual experiences, despite them having occurred years before the bank robbery and having absolutely nothing to do with robbing a bank. The prosecution's closing statement, which barely mentioned the fact that she had been kidnapped and held captive, alleged that Hearst took part in the robbery without any coercion. Browning also argued that since the female members of SLA were feminists, they wouldn't have allowed Hearst to be raped. I don't care what they say here. Feminists holding weapons and then men holding weapons can still rape. I just, I don't, like, it doesn't eliminate the possibility of you being raped by men in that army just because the women are feminists. Yeah. Also, if they were feminists and Angela Atwood said that sexual freedom thing to to Hearst and then she got she was raped, their their feminism might be a very very warped idea of feminism. Feminism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bailey, Hearst's lawyer, gave this final statement to the court. And I will say that in retrospect, Hearst really regrets having him as her lawyer. She uh she was not happy with his closing statement and she says that in her memoir bailey said quote but simple application of the rules i think will yield one decent result and that is there is not anything close to proof beyond a reasonable doubt that patty hurst wanted to be a bank robber what you know and you know in your hearts to be true is beyond dispute there was talk about her dying and she wanted to survive I, I don't think it's too bad uh, of a statement, honestly. Um, it's kind of weird, I think, and it's not particularly clear. But basically what he's saying is, like, there's there's not enough evidence to prove that she wanted to do this. There's more than oh, enough. Oh, I took that the wrong way. <laughs> I thought I, he was saying, like, she wanted to do this. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. He, that's why just, it's kind of weird. It's Yeah, it's, the way it's, it's worded is confusing yeah i mean what he says is there's not anything close to proof beyond a reasonable doubt that patty hearst wanted to be a bank robber so it's worded weirdly but basically he's saying there's nowhere near enough proof to prove that she wanted to rob a bank okay there's more than enough proof to tell you that she was abducted and brainwashed and like altered physically and mentally and coerced into this i think yeah. 
But it doesn't matter what I think. And it didn't matter what those other doctors thought either. On March 20th, 1976, Patty Hearst was convicted of bank robbery and using a firearm while committing a felony. So armed robbery, I guess. Judge Carter gave her the maximum sentence possible, which was 35 years, pending a reduction at a final sentencing hearing, which he wasn't in attendance for because he died. Oh, uh, woohoo! Death, death, <laughs> death, death, death. <laughs> so now we get a new judge, Judge William Horsley Oric Jr. <sighs> what a name. <laughs> Horsley? And he determined her sentence. <laughs> he gave her seven years, commenting that, quote, rebellious young people who, for whatever reason, become revolutionaries and voluntarily commit criminal acts will be punished. <sighs> Still, seven years as opposed to 35 or That's whatever true. the other guy was going to give, you know, a little bit of a better deal. Right. While in prison, Hearst suffered from multiple medical problems, including a collapsed lung, which eventually forced her to undergo emergency surgery. Oh, my God. I know. How and does that happen? <laughs> I, I don't know. I would guess an attack but i don't think she was attacked maybe she came down with something and How does your lung like pneumonia or um though a, maybe an illness that focuses primarily in the lungs like covid the medical name of this condition is pneumothorax COVID, I pneumothorax think, can be caused by a blunt or penetrating chest injury, certain medical procedures, or damage from an underlying lung disease. Or it may occur for no obvious reason. I don't know the reason, but it, I, if I was to guess, I would say some kind of illness. Um, yeah. Because That's crazy. It's when, it's when you're your air escapes from your lung and then it fills the space outside of the lung and then it puts pressure on your lung. So it collapses. Oh I didn't God. know that. That sounds terrifying. Oh my God. Science lesson. With <laughs> dead drunk. <laughs> so however it happened, that's what happened to Patty and she had to undergo emergency surgery and that prevented her from appearing to testify against the Harris's on 11 charges, which included robbery, kidnapping and assault all of which were charges that she was also arraigned for. Hearst. Hearst that was... That seems convenient. I mean, she she was just supposed to testify against them. Um, so she could have, like, submitted statements. But obviously being there in person would have been more powerful. Right. But, yeah, I mean, you're kind of right. It It seems a little too convenient but it may have just been a coincidence that they coincided nah. it may have also been that she was scared and she got herself really really sick i don't know i don't know how you collapse your own lung though that sounds really hard <laughs> how to collapse your <laughs> own <No. laughs> yeah she just plugged it in google in 1976 next next <laughs> time i don't want to go to work i'm just like how to collapse your own <laughs> how to collapse your own lung Hearst was held in solitary for security reasons for a period of time. And in November... Oh, you know what? Based on that, it could have been an attack. Maybe it was an attack. But I don't know why anybody in prison would attack Patty Hearst. I do. Because she's rich? Because she's about to testify against these people and they know people on the inside. 
Oh, that's possible. So they attack her so that to prevent her from testifying. I didn't even think about that. You're right. That could have been. I don't know why it wouldn't have been mentioned anywhere, but you're you're right. It could have been that. Because they're trying to cover it up. Who? Someone knows something. <laughs> Regardless, after that, Hearst was held in solitary and until November 1976 when she was granted bail for an appeal hearing on the condition that she was well protected. To make sure of this, her father hired dozens of bodyguards because she's not going to get kidnapped and abducted again. Not going through that again. Hearst received yeah, probation on the sporting goods charge to which she pleaded no contest. The judge for this charge said that he believed she was subject to coercion. So that's nice. At this time, the California Attorney General, Evel J. I don't know how to say the first name, but Evel J. Younger expressed his concerns that Hearst had received a stiffer sentence because of her wealthy status. He actually um, he actually thinks that there was a double standard in her case, but the double standard was that wealthy people should be punished more. Um, I've never seen that asserted before, but maybe that's what happened. Maybe the judge was just really annoyed that she was richer than he was. And so he refused to hear any, or maybe because she's wealthy, people are inclined to think, oh, she just did it for attention. Or she just did it because she was yeah. bored. But again, there's so much here. Like why, even if you're bored, nobody's this bored, right? So. No, <laughs> I've been bored before, but not that bored. <laughs> not plan my own kidnapping and then an armed robbery and multiple armed robberies. Yeah. Um, Attorney General Younger also noted that while she had no legal brainwashing defense, all of these events started with her being kidnapped. And that hardly came up in the trial. In May 1978, Hearst's appeals failed and the Supreme Court refused to hear her case, which meant that her bail was revoked. This time, the prison took no special security measures to ensure her safety until Hearst found a dead rat on her bunk on the same day that William and Emily Harris were arraigned for her abduction. I just got chills. You said I wouldn't, but I did. I didn't somebody on the inside <laughs> is on the side of the Harrises and they're after her. I'm yeah. telling you. I, I, I totally agree with you now. I don't know why I didn't put it together. I <laughs> My mind has been all <laughs> over the place this week, so... But thank you for connecting that link because you're totally right. She was probably attacked and that's what put her in the hospital. The Harrises were convicted on a simple kidnapping charge as opposed to the more serious kidnapping for ransom or kidnapping with bodily injury that they should have been charged with. They were released after serving a total of eight years each. That's just one more uh. than Patty got. For yeah. kidnapping Patty. In, also in 1978, Leo Ryan, a Democratic congressman, was in the process of collecting signatures on a petition for Hearst's release. This is the craziest part. Unfortunately, Ryan was assassinated during the Jonestown massacre and never <gasps> finished gathering signatures. I told I you got this chills episode again. was like... I told you this episode was like 70s threw up on it. What? It's like revolutionary groups, anarchists, armed robberies... Jonestown. Jonestown. What the heck? 
John Wayne spoke on this after the Jonestown cult deaths, and he pointed out that people easily accepted that Jim Jones brainwashed 900 individuals into mass suicide, but would not accept that the Symbionese Liberation Army could have brainwashed a kidnapped teenage girl. I have so many full body chills. John Wayne is the one that had to point out this very obvious thing to the nation. A killer clown, John Wayne Gacy. No. This is <laughs> Imagine. Holy shit. Imagine. John Wayne Gacy is like <laughs> Isn't isn't Lorena Bobbitt's husband John Wayne Bobbitt too? Oh my god. <laughs> but no, we're I want to cover Lorena. Classic cowboy. Not John Wayne Bobbitt or John Wayne Gacy. Cowboy John Wayne. <laughs> in 1979, President Jimmy Carter finally commuted her sentence to the 22 months that she had already served, freeing her eight months before she was eligible for her first parole hearing. Hearst remained on probation for her sporting goods store plea until President Bill Clinton granted her a pardon on January 20th, 2001, his very last day in office. Two months after her release from prison, Hearst married Bernard Lee Shaw, who was actually a policeman that was part of the security detail that she had around her during her time on bail, which I think was super cute and romantic. Like, this guy's guarding your Aww. life, and then you fall in love with him, and you marry him, and then you Aww. have two children, Jillian and Lydia Hearst Shaw. Hearst also became involved in a foundation to help children with AIDS and is active with several other charities and fundraising activities. So she's doing good and she's very philanthropic in her work now. And she has a memoir that I mentioned. I don't exactly remember what it's called right now, but I think it's like every secret thing. If you want to read her full account. Um, otherwise, that's our case, drunkies. Don't you just kind of feel like the 70s as a decade just kind of exploded on you? Just like, <laughs> oh, a hundred million thousand percent. And as much as I hate that journey for her, I like also kind of love that journey for her. Right. It kind of I mean, the other thing that I was thinking is when you she got kidnapped at 19. Honestly, you could have told me anything at 19. I would have bought it. Oh, yeah. Like, I, <laughs> Especially if you think it, your life is at risk. Exactly. She's and after this, basically her whole life was affected from this thing. You you can't really I mean, she managed to have a normal life afterwards, but it's just kind of insane. Yeah. To me. And hundred percent. I just don't see any reason why you would fake this. Right. Uh, I don't. There are a lot of arguments that she was just some rich brat and she just wanted attention or wanted to have some fun but again i'm not seeing it i'm not seeing it, you guys i think she was kidnapped she was brainwashed she did all that stuff unfortunately but she thought she was gonna die if she didn't do it so wouldn't you right have done that yeah <laughs> so so yeah i mean if you want to talk to us more about it you can join us on our discussion page or our main page on facebook at dead drunk a true crime podcast or dead drunk discussions if you make this drink and you have it wearing like a fancy suit or a fancy dress or whatever and you want to share that with us because I I've been so bored that sometimes I just get dressed for work but I'm not going anywhere because like, I, I just want to <laughs> look 
nice for one time. So if you want to share that with us, you can on Instagram at Dead Drunk Crime. You can also tweet at us at Dead Drunk Crime. Uh, we also have a website where you can find the this whole episode written out in full with all the sources for you to do whatever kind of deep dive you want to do or not. That's up to you. That website is TetrunkPodcast.com. You can also find links to merch in the show notes. We have some pretty cool merch and Tierney can make pretty much anything now that she has cool cricket skills or cry cut. I don't know what cricket. Cricket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and we, I'm missing something. It's the Patreon. I know for sure. We are still unlocking Israel keys. I know that we owe you guys something and it's, it's come. We're <laughs> it's we're, on the way. It's in production. It's, it's on the way. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to join us on Patreon, we have some really cool ideas for you. And I think if you if you guys are into it, if you want to join us on the double it, double it, double or nothing, right? Yes. Which is the $10. Uh, make it a double. Make it a double. The make it a double, which is the $10 a month. We're going to organize happy hours with you every month where we'll send you a Zoom link and you can join us on Zoom and we could talk crime. We could talk anything. We, it doesn't matter. We're just going to drink for sure. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's Mocktails one are good thing. too. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, whatever I you want to do. I feel like that'll be so fun. Yeah, I, that's why I'm kind of excited for it. So we're going to yeah. do that. And we, we're still doing spooky shooters, but those are going to move to Patreon. If you want two spooky shooters a month that's on patreon if you want just one you can find that on your regular spotify apple podcast wherever you listen to us Hell those are yeah. some new exciting developments from us i'm excited for them me too i i wish i was drunky no i'm just kidding <laughs> and that's all we got that's our case i hope you enjoyed the episode best wishes warmest regards